Hello and welcome to episode two of MJ's Last Dance. I'm Axel Elkham. And we've got some Spider-Man books to review this week. It's not been a great week for the Spider-Man stuff. It's been a bit pants this week. Um, I've been very late about getting this out. We're actually now on Wednesday, which means there's going to be a whole load of new Spider-Man books being released today that need to be reviewed. Um, but I had stuff going on over the weekend. My comic books didn't arrive on time. I spent a lot of... <laughs> Spent a lot of my time, rather than reading this week's issues or last week's issues, as it is, reading every single appearance of the Cravenoff family so that I could really get into the Nick Spencer stuff. A little bit more about that later. But yeah, um, what have we got this week in no particular order? Amazing Spider-Man 18. Uh, Marvel Comics Presents number 3. Marvel Rising number 1. Superior Spider-Man, number four, and Spider-Man, Deadpool, number four. Yeah, what else am I forgetting? There's, there was another, there was something else this week. Spider-Man Far From Home Prelude. Ah, that, that book. That book. But yeah, as as last week, there are going to be some spoilers involved here. I'm going to try my best to not give too many, but there we go. It's a little bit disjointed this week. Apologies, it's a bit rushed, but like I said, life got in the way a little bit. So let's get started. First of all, I'm going to take a look at this week's issue of Marvel Presents. We're on issue three of this series, and if you haven't already been reading, there's a really good Wolverine story that's been running through the series so far, but I won't go into that too much because it's not Spider-Man related. What really shocked me about this particular issue for Spider-Man is it's written by James Monroe Eagleheart. I don't know if you're familiar with Eagleheart, but he actually was the genie in the Broadway production of Aladdin. He's also been in the Broadway production of Hamilton. I didn't even know the guy writes comic books. I don't know if he's written other comic books, but I was pretty interested to see what this guy could come up with, and I really enjoy the story. Starts off with Spider-Man doing his usual inner monologue, which he does pretty much at the start of every single Spider-Man comic that there is. Talking about how he's never really surprised when he gets to fight against somebody, another villain from his past. However, he's very shocked to find himself up against Crusher Hogan. Now, if you've read the Spider-Man books, you've seen the Spider-Man films, when Spider-Man was doing his wrestling thing, trying to make money before the death of his Uncle Ben... He fought against Crusher Hogan and made an absolute fall of Crusher Hogan. So Spider-Man's not even sure how he's got there. But here he is against well, someone... I'm, I haven't read him having gone up against Crusher Hogan in a rematch before. I don't know if it has or hasn't happened. I don't think it has, but here he is and he's not sure how the hell he got there, what he's doing there, what this is all about. Hogan's pretty much got the edge over Spider-Man. Spider-Man didn't expect him to be so much faster, stronger when they than when they last fought. And also, you can there's a clear shot of Hogan having glowing green eyes. So you know something's going on. Which pretty much gets explained when all of a sudden, Dr. Voodoo pops up out of nowhere. Explain to Spider-Man that he's in a spell. It's a dream. So... He has to, 
Dr. Voodoo's got to get him out of this dream somehow. Spider-Man just takes it, accepts it. Well, it's Spider-Man's life, I guess. Things don't make much sense. But obviously, there are some stakes now involved because unlike a normal dream where you die, you just wake up. In this particular dream, you are going to die if you die. Some Freddy Krueger nonsense going on there, but Spider-Man, what can you do? It's pretty good, though. There's a lot of Spider-Man, you know, quipping, having a couple of jokes, jumping around. And if you've seen Creed 2 recently, a lot of this fight between them, as Crusher Hogan's explaining his motivation for this, is parallels what's going on in Creed 2. You've got Evan Drago's son fighting for Drago's honour because, you know, after Drago lost against Rocky... He lost everything. His country went against him. His wife left him. And this is obviously going to do what always happens with Peter Parker. He then starts to feel guilty over everything. I'm not going to give too much else away for this issue. There's a really good scene or panel of Crusher Hogan asleep. Watching a big screen TV of what seems to be him Rewatching the fight where Spider-Man beat him in the first place. I assume that's what's happening. It might be a spell. He might actually be watching on the screen. Might be what's going on in the dream. But I'm going to assume that he's sitting there wasting his life. Rewatching this video of how he lost to Spider-Man all those years ago. The art in this is pretty fantastic. It's Ray Anthony Height and Nate Lovett. I've seen a couple of different things that Ray Anthony Height has done. You've got um, Wakanda Forever, that was really good. You've also got, I believe he did some work on Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Terrible series, good artwork though. I really, What I really like about this is it's kind of a throwback to the original Ultimate Spider-Man series. It looks like the art in that. Granted, the colour's definitely better because J. David Ramos did the art, and, or the, the colour art in this, and that's actually a far better colour scheme than the ultimate spider-man series but still it's really good love what eagle heart has done with this book and i'd be very happy to see him start doing a couple of other spider-man issues maybe some some of the more funny issues because i had a few good laughs in this book don't know if he could quite hit the serious notes but it's definitely worth a read alongside the wolverine ongoing story that's in this book there is a Captain America story, but it's it's a basic Captain America story. It, you know, Boy Scout does some stuff. Not happy about that, guys. Ugh, Captain America stuff can be pretty draining and boring. But there we go. That is Marvel Presents Issue 3. What should we do next? Um, okay, let's very quickly do the Spider-Man Far From Home prelude. I was... Because, yeah, I was incredibly disappointed with this book. In all the other preludes to the MCU stuff, you get a little bit of story of what's gone on in between the different ones. This is completely different. This is just a retelling of Homecoming. It's pointless. I imagine everyone's probably seen the film by now. It's definitely a cash grab. I don't know how much it cost. I can't actually remember. But there is nothing here that's not in the film. The artwork's fine. It's Luca. Oh, I can't remember his last name, but yeah. Luca, someone did the artwork. It, it's fine. You've got um, Will Cronin Pilgrim did the writing, but it's just the film. 
there's nothing to really say about it. It jumps very quickly through. What's really disappointing about it, though, is it's part one of two. This didn't finish the film. This issue gets about halfway through the film. I think we're looking about... I know the party scene was done. I can't actually remember off the top of my head how far this went into the film. I remember seeing the party scene that had happened. I remember... Ah, oh, I do know where it ended. It finished with just as about he's about to run up the Washington Monument to save everyone from the bomb that's in the Ned Leeds character's bag. And they're expecting us to pay money for the next issue, which is just the film. I I can watch the film on Now TV. It's part of my nine ninety nine package. Why would I spend two free quid on this book and then two free quid on the following book? I'm paying six pounds there to read a book of a film that is included in most of my TV packages now. Don't waste your money on this book. Now we've got Marvel Rising issue one. I've only picked up this book because Spider-Gwen is on the cover. You've also got Captain Marvel Senior, the female Captain Marvel Senior, Miss Marvel, Squirrel Girl, and I assume that's America Chavez could be completely mistaken. I haven't really I don't really know much about that character. But then when you open the comic, it has nothing to do with Spider-Gwen at all. Not that it's a bad thing, because you have actually got Squirrel Girl, you've got Miss Marvel, and you've got Miles Morales Spider-Man. And then you've got Inferno, he's an inhuman, I don't know a great deal about him at all. From the cover, I thought this book was going to be about... It's going to be female-led stories. I didn't see... There was a previous Marvel Rising volume, I think. There was also a TV show that came out last November. I haven't seen. might be a TV film. I'm not entirely sure. Didn't see it. Probably should see it, but I haven't got around to it. But yeah, so... A little bit confused when I've opened it, but... There we go. I didn't hate this story. It's actually a pretty fun story. It's got the return of Morgan Le Fay, which is good. Always good to see Morgan Le Fay jumping around. She's actually pretty interesting. And of all the magic sort of villainesses that there are out there, I think she's one of the better. You don't see her too often. She was in the Ultimate Spider-Man TV series recently. Not that I watch children's com cartoons, but that's a lie. I watch them non-stop all day long. Story is pretty much based around Squirrel Girl giving a tour to Inferno, Miss Marvel, and Mars Morales Spider Man around Empire State University, the university where every single Marvel hero from New York seems to go to. Spider Man went there. Probably some other people went there as well. Dunno, can't remember. I don't really like stories that involve Squirrel Girl that much. I find her to be quite an odd character. There was quite good, very cutaway scene with Squirrel Girl a couple of years, but actually probably about a decade ago now, where Wolverine possibly slept with her, or it was alluded that they'd slept together, which now how she's being written is very odd, considering it seems that she's being written as, well, I think she was high school when the Unbeatable Squirrel Girl series first started getting popular. 
So that makes what Wolverine did very wrong. Very wrong indeed. And now, she's definitely written as a younger character now. I could be totally wrong, but it's definitely alluded that they slept together. And she's the babysitter of Luke Cage and Jessica Jones' child in that series. That's when she pops up in The Avengers with Wolverine, when they discuss it. I mean, even if she wasn't being written as a very young character, then she was babysitting, so you would assume she is quite young and trying to make some money that way. It's, it's all very... Oh, it's, it's all odd. And the less said about that, the better. But you've got her giving this tour to these heroes. But the weird thing is they're doing a tour and they're all dressed in their superhero outfits. Now, this just seems silly to me because if they do end up going to Empire State University, having been on this tour, everyone's going to know that someone with a secret identity is at Empire State University studying. Obviously, Squirrel Girl doesn't actually tend to go by her secret identity too often, which is Doreen Gray, maybe? Or is that, is that Mr. Gray I'm thinking of? And I don't know. But she's always seen walking around as Squirrel Girl rather than her secret identity, which the other characters of Miles Morales and you've got Miss Marvel, they definitely want to keep their secret identity. So it just seems a little bit bananas to me that this would actually happen. And then obviously, as what always happens with comic books, they're having a nice day and then something happens that means they have to jump into action. It's pretty bland storytelling, if I'm totally honest, and... What I said about Morgan Le Fay is pretty much at the end of it. You do find out she's the one who's making all of this happen and she's got a new following, but too little, too late in this comic book, I guess. And I really dislike this Inferno character. I have not read a single comic with him in before because I tend to avoid the inhuman stuff. I just don't really like them. But. He's an inhuman, everyone's an inhuman now. It used to be they were mutants, now they're all inhumans. Because Marvel didn't have the rights to the inhuman. Oh no, they had the rights to the inhumans, they didn't have the rights to the mutants. And obviously they were making all these films off at Fox. That's all going to change now. Probably mutants are now going to be the next big thing again. Just purely because Marvel owned them and they'll be introducing them into the MCU. And their attempt to introduce the inhumans into the MCU went miserably wrong with that tv show in humans which actually got a cinema release for the first episode didn't go watched a couple of episodes gave up it's not as good as runaway it's not as good as the netflix daredevil stuff yeah it's pretty naff anyway back to this comic book that we're actually supposed to be talking about so yeah like i said it's a bland story um the writer is nyla mag Magraduda, I think it's something like that. I don't actually know because very new writer to Marvel. I haven't read anything that's been going on with this writer before other than an issue of Spider-Verse where they did one of the characters. The Vault of Spiders. I never liked the, the Spider-Verse, Spider-Geddon tie-ins. I like the main storyline that's going on, but I, other than Spider-Gwen and, okay, the Gerard Ways, spider DR, whatever, however you say it, was actually pretty interesting. Spider-Gwen, obviously, massive, massive part of the Spider-Man universe now. Hence why I actually picked up this book. But yeah, I can't even remember what character this writer created. Um, 
Robert DeSalvo, fine artist. It's just a bland book. It's it's kind of going that same way that all Marvel books are going now. They they went dark for the nineties and then during the two thousands it was a bit it was still a bit dark, but you still had more of a cartoony edge to it. But now with the MCU, that's you know making all that money, you are aiming a lot more comics at children. Comics were always aimed at children, obviously, but this is definitely aimed at the younger readers. It doesn't really grab my attention other than Morgan Le Fay, and they probably won't even do her justice. Pick it up. Don't pick it up if you're a fan of Spider-Gwen, because she's definitely, on, like I said, on the cover, but not in the book at all, which I think is really upsetting. Because it's really good to see her interact with characters from the Earth 616, but because she lives out in some other universe, I can't remember which one. She's one of the only characters from the Spider-Verse and the Web Warriors who actually still has a dimensional transporter. So why waste the character on just the cover? But there we go. Marvel Rising number one. We'll continue to read it because it's... Well, it's got some Spider-Man characters in it and I made a promise to review all the Spider-Man books each week. Anyway, that's that one done. Now we've got Spider-Man Deadpool. They're on issue 48. I'm going to be honest, I've given up with this series a little bit. I still get it each time it comes out. Um, Mainly because when it first started, it seemed like they were going to completely undo the events of Brand New Day that silly deal that spider-man made with Memphisto, and that reset his entire storyline and got rid of everyone knowing his secret identity that never transpired there was that really good storyline with itsy bitsy but then since then there was a bit with arcade there was a bit with that stupid clown character slapstick and well slapstick is how you can really describe this entire storyline it's just absolute trashy banana stuff the current storyline that's going on you've got all the superheroes being or and the villains all the superheroes and the villains being captured by a character called the manipulator spider-man and deadpool come back after they were hanging out in the negative zone they and then they're trapped as well well actually deadpool dies quote unquote dies obviously it's Deadpool and it's, he's not going to die I think the characters in this book have died about four or five times and then it's just been rewritten or retconned it's just sheer nonsense there's a pretty good scene early on with Spider-Man hanging trapped next to Dr. Octopus but it's Dr. Octopus looking like very old um, old as in old comic books very young Dr. Octopus uh, when we last saw Dr. Octopus properly, he was in a dying body, and that's when he, that whole Superior Spider-Man stuff happened. And now he's running around the cl- a clone of Peter Parker. So I, I don't really understand the time frame for this book at all. It probably doesn't help I skim read it every single time it comes out, because I am completely and utterly lost. There's a scene with all the heroes and villains fighting each other at the beginning of this book and you've got you know newer characters like um 
Miles Morales, but I don't think Miles Morales came across to the 616 until after the Superior Spider-Man situation took place. I could be very wrong about that, but he's there. But then you've got Dr. Ock hanging. I genuinely have no <laughs> clue whatsoever is going on in this book. I actually got it in front of me and I'm skimming through it just to have something to talk about. There's some Gwenpool stuff. I hate Gwenpool. Gwenpool is the most boring character. I know that Deadpool can no longer talk to the fourth wall. So then the whole point of the next issue seems to be that they're going to break the fourth wall to defeat the manipulator. I have no idea how that works. This is not the comic book I originally started reading. And I probably would give up with it. If I'm totally honest, 48 issues in and it's just absolute trash. Unless something really shapes up in the next couple of weeks or a couple of issues. But judging from how it's been, I doubt that's going to happen. Each issue has this amazing cover and then it's just not what's in the book at all. So it kind of loses points for me there. You've just got two irritating characters. Spider-Man's actually quite irritating in when he's with other heroes. And then Deadpool. I find Deadpool, other than the films, to be a really irritating, annoying character. Because the break in the fourth wall's fine. It's kind of meta, but it's just all the time. Merp with the mouth. Merp needs to shut the cup, if you ask me. But there we go. Love the films. Love Ryan Reynolds. Love the films. Don't really like the character. But there we go. Who wrote this dumpster fire of a comment? Let me just quickly. Oh, Robbie Thompson. Robbie Thompson, what did you do? Oh, he did that. Um, Sp Spider-Man freshman year. The Spidey comics, where it's literally called Spidey. Oh, mate, they're, they're not terrible. They're just boring. They're really boring. Um, he did some Silk stuff as well. Silk's a really great character, but he didn't introduce the character. He just picked up, I think. I could be totally wrong about that. I don't know much else of what he's done. Um, and by the time he got onto Silk, it was... No, it wasn't very good by the time he got onto Silk. It went. It started off really strong, and then I think he didn't turn up until probably about issue 15, maybe. And it kind of lost its way considerably. Ugh considerably ah, I give up with that word and I think he might have been the death of Silk as in the comic book the death of the comic book not the actual character the character is still alive she was in Spider-Geddon but yeah didn't didn't last much I think he probably was the reason why there isn't a Silk comic going on anymore not the fact that the character's boring so no one boy but the actual comic books themselves got pretty boring but Spider-Man Deadpool 48 Read it, make your own opinions, because I'm not really into it at the moment, and I don't... Although, yes, you should probably listen to me. It would also be a really bad idea to listen to me. But, there we go. What is next? What's left for this week? Superior Spider-Man. Number four, that's what we've got up next. Oh, man, that took me longer than I wanted to remember. Um, I like the comic. It's alright. Oh, we've got a return of... Who have we got a return Ah, oh, Master Pandemonium. A ridiculous character. He is going to be in the next issue. Or, right, we're jumping ahead a little bit here because we should be talking about the next issue at the end of this review. 
But I'm really excited for that. Good old Demon Hands. He's a ridiculous character. And also, I think next issue features Doctor Strange. Okay, so I think it clearly says something about this comic book that I'm more excited for the next issue than this current one. He's What's going on at the moment is you've got, once again, Otto Octavius doing a redemption story. How many times do we have to have this redemption story? He redeemed himself just before Superior Spider-Man, as all the good memories that Peter Parker had made him realise everything he'd done wrong and want to become a good hero. We then had him realising he wasn't a good enough hero to save the day at the end of Superior Spider-Man, so then he lets Peter Parker take over Peter Parker's body again. And then you had... When else did he... No, he didn't really have a redemption story in Spider-Geddon because he was pretty much arrogant the whole way through it. Granted, he probably does need to have a bit of a redemption story. Oh, no, that was when he had the redemption story. When he, at the end of Dan Slott's run of Spider-Man and he goes to save Aunt May and Spider-Man and Otto are just like, yeah, no, we're cool now. Forget everything that's happened. Forget how you also tried to marry Aunt May many, many years ago. But yeah, so that's what... So it's another redemption arc for Otto Octavius, which is all well and good, but we've seen it so many times. And this this entire issue is about redemption, because there's no... There's no real, like, villain to fight in this. There's a very brief, brief scene with one of the... What is that team he's got at the moment called? Oh, Night Shift. He's got this team, Night Shift, who are villains who are working for him. They're all very um, macabre style villains i really like gravedigger actually i really enjoy the gravedigger i might actually have to spend this week reading about gravedigger because i didn't know too much about him before this book and i don't know a great deal about him now so i might have a little time to have a read for it but then you've also got waxman waxman's a serial killer and doc Ock gets him to save somebody obviously waxman decides he's going to kill them instead that's about the only villain fight in this one. Mainly it's about Spider-Man or the superior Spider-Man dealing with the people around him in San Francisco. Why does everyone always go to San Francisco? Whenever like characters who don't want to hang out in New York, they always tend to go to San Francisco. Obviously you had Kane Parker going off to Houston, which was, that's quite good. If you ever get a chance to read The Scarlet Spider with Kane in it, have a read of that. It's a good 30 issue run. That's a really solid book. But yeah, he's in San Francisco and he's helping the people of San Francisco City. There's a really good scene of him talking to a child who's just lost his mother. Which he's able to actually come and use his own experience, which... Right, so before I finish that sentence, you've got Anna, who was the love interest for Otto Octavius when he was Superior Spider-Man. She's now in San Francisco as well. Because obviously that's what happens. People follow each other. I think he might have been following her, actually. But anyway, she's been listening in, so she sees that there is a good side to him again, which I'm pretty certain she saw in the last issue. And Otto Octavius ends up having dinner with the... One of the women who he saved, who 
he acts like he's better than them, but then he ends up having dinner with her and some of the other heroes, obviously the heroes being policemen and firemen. It's good. Um, it's the end of that arc, hopefully. And like I said, I'm more excited about the next issue. So enough really said about the storyline there. Artwork in this book's fantastic. I just want to have a quick check to see who actually did that because I can't remember off the top of my head. My memory this week is absolutely terrible for facts. Oh, very quickly. Um, I've just noticed this on the cover as I'm getting up now. Legacy number 37. So they are continuing the legacy numbers for Superior Spider-Man, which I have seen in a couple of different ones. I've seen them trying to get very close with Avengers. The Avengers one doesn't make much sense to me because I'm pretty certain that even in the one-shot comics they're including, but in other comic books they're not including that. I don't know. Who really cares? But I like the legacy idea. I think they're more trying to do it, though, because obviously Batman had his 80th birthday this weekend and his thousandth issue of Detective Comics. So Marvel are trying to get some of that anniversary money. Yeah, whatever. The companies just do the exact same thing as each other. Um, Christos Gage is the writer. What did he write? Oh man, this is getting... I'm going to have to look this one up quickly. Because I cannot remember what he has written for Marvel at the moment. He might not have even written anything that I've read. Let's have a look. Let's see what Christos Gage has written. Oh, straight away up on Google. It looks like he's done a Miss Marvel thing, so I probably would not have read it. Or Captain Marvel, not Miss Marvel. Ah, uh, he wrote some Spy. Ah, oh, he wrote Spider Geddon. Ah, okay. That's probably why Spider Geddon is so more focused on Superior Spider Man than it actually is on Amazing Spider Man. That makes a lot more sense now. Probably should have picked that up, but I didn't. Oh, he wrote. Yeah, yeah, it is what it is. Anyway, that's that book done. With all those books out of the way, that finally leads us to The Amazing Spider-Man for this week. The flagship series in the Spider-Man universe. Well, something or other like that. Um, last week I said about how much I really dislike what Nick Spencer's doing with the character at the moment. And I, didn't, I don't really like what he's doing with Craven the Hunter. And this week I spent... Oh, must have been hours and hours going through every single appearance of the Cravenoff family since the last hunt or Craven's last hunt where Craven kills himself and then obviously you've got Grim Hunt where he comes back. Um, I read everything that Anna Cravenoff, Sasha Cravenoff, Alyosha Cravenoff and oh what's the other one? The Grim Hunt the Grim Hunter whose first name I cannot remember despite the fact reading everything oh, it's really embarrassing. Um, just to see if I could understand where Nick Spencer was going with the characters at the moment. I don't. I, I don't understand where he's going. However, Nick Spencer opted to release an issue this week that didn't have Craven appearing at any point. So I don't want to go and talk about 
Craven's motives and what he's doing when he's not actually even in this week's issue. So I'm going to keep it really simple because you know that it's coming and I'm going to go I'm going to absolutely tear into it at some point. So I'm just going to say what I did and didn't like about this issue. Um first of all, I've got a question that I would really like answering. There's a scene with Mary Jane in this particular issue which is it's a shot of Craven's Last Hunt where during Craven's Last Hunt there's a rat inside of Peter and MJ's building and she kills it with a shoe. Um, that was supposed to parallel what was going on with Peter because obviously Vermin's a big character in Craven's Last Hunt. But yeah, so she reminisces on this. Now I know that Mary Jane and Peter both remember their marriage but they don't talk about it at all except for in that run of comics called One Moment in Time. So, did technically, the thing that she's reminiscing to, did it technically happen? I don't know. I'd like to know. I really don't understand what did and didn't happen. and I never have understood with what did and didn't happen between Mary Jane and Peter's marriage because they didn't get married it's canon that they didn't get married. So all those comic books from the 90s and 80s are completely irrelevant because that was wiped out. I know that they do remember it, it seems. Well, I know that Mary Jane asked, asked Memphisto that she could remember all of the memories of it. But then during one moment in time when they look back on it, it doesn't seem like they really know what's going on. And a lot of the time during how they interact with each other, especially during this Nick Spencer run, that they're back together that they do know what's going on. I, I don't know what's going on. I don't think Nick Spencer knows what's going on. Um, a lot of people slammed Dan Slot for not putting them back together, but as far as I'm aware, he was never allowed to do that. He was told that that's the one thing in Spider-Man he would not be allowed, and that would be to have Mary Jane and Peter back together. But there we go. You also... I don't know. We're not going to focus on the bug thing just yet. We'll save that until the end of the review of this issue of what I do and don't like. I do like that bit, by the way. The bit about Mary Jane where she remembers squashing the rat. I think that's a really good callback to Craven's Last Hunt. Right, so things that are annoying me. Um, let's talk about the robots. The VR robots that are hunting all the supervillains in Central Park going to touch heavier on it next week or next issue if Craven's in it but I don't honestly believe that Craven would be okay with Arcade creating robots that look like him I know Craven's got quite an ego but I think that's just a little that's pushing that ego a little bit too far these robots are ridiculous as well um, I'm supposed to believe that these robots can take on half these super villains I mean the Iguana was killed by a guy using this VR robot and they killed him off I really like that character he was like a poor man's lizard I really enjoyed him um, looking at all the characters that are in this central park zoo at the moment you've got Vulture there's the white rabbits there um, one character that I really don't believe that Black Ma uh, Black Mask Black Ant and Taskmaster would have been able to capture is the Tarantula 
Spider-Man has difficulty fighting him. He's one of the most legendary hand-to-hand fighters in the Marvel Universe. Yes, I get that Taskmaster has that... Um... Oh, what's that superpower? I can't remember what the superpower is called, but he's got like a photographic memory for people doing things. So if you know how to play pool really well, Taskmaster can watch you and then he can do it. Like muscle memory, but photograph muscle memory. So potentially he could be captured, but I don't think this team up could really capture all these villains. I know that Nick Spencer really loves this duo together because he did it in the... Oh, Secret Empire, what, that ridiculous story where Captain America becomes an agent of Hydra. You had Taskmaster and Blackhand running around during that time. I do like that Nick Spencer has now given up on that duo because Taskmaster betrays Blackhand because Blackhand is an animal supervillain. So he is now trapped in there. Ugh. That is about all I really want to say about going into the Craven motive at the moment. There's some good artwork in this one. I really like the artwork of Toad. Toad's in there. Who, oh man, who did the artwork? Oh, that's probably why I like the artwork so much in this one. You've got Humberto Ramos does the artwork or does the penciling. Actually, didn't he do it for this entire... I think he might have done it for this entire run. I've been slagging off him. Normally, his artwork's fine. Uh, and it's fine in this issue. Oh, no. I did say that I don't want to talk any more about it. But let's... There's a... Right, there's a character that's come about. There's a new... New introduced supervillain. I've read some previews and they're promising that this is a new character... This is the one that managed to get the Kingpin to bow down to him. As I've said in the previous episode, I really dislike it when someone is introduced and we're just supposed to accept that these things are the way they are. It really bugs me, and this is a character who has done that. Nick Spencer has got this... Oh, man, it's been 18 issues and it's still not been revealed. He has too many balls juggling in the air, actually, Nick Spencer. But... There's this character who's wrapped up in bandages and seems to be able to have all these bugs and stuff crawling around. He, It has been said this is a new character, but I'm, I'd am i be quite happy to put money on it being the pitiful one, who I only really know from Ecstatic Dead Girl. And I only really have read that particular storyline because there is a, because it came up as one of the things to read for Craven after Craven's Last Hunt. Where supposedly Craven is resurrected, repeatedly resurrected during that storyline. But then if you read the Marvel A to Z, it turns out that those weren't really the real characters. I, that was bizarre. I didn't know. That was really bizarre. Um, so yeah, my money is on it being the pitiful one. Because when Dead Girl kills the pitiful one in the in that ecstatic Dead Girl limited series, it looks just like the character of I think people are calling him Shush at the moment. I don't know if that's what we're supposed to be calling him. But she punches him and he falls apart of like centipedes and other like gross, creepy crawly sort of stuff. Which seems to be what this guy's power is. We will see though. Ah, Nick Spencer, you seem to have been saved this week, so I really did wanna 
go to absolute town on your current run, but without you putting in the main villain into this comic book, it makes it really difficult for all that research I spent all week doing. But yeah, there we go. Those are the comics that have been released this week for Spider-Man. I hope you enjoyed that. Before I sign off for the week, I feel like I'm going to do an honourable mention for other comic books that were released this week that I really enjoyed. Um, you've got Sabrina the Teenage Witch, just starting a new run. It's not quite the Netflix TV show, nor the actual proper chilling adventures of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. It's actually The book's really good. I'm a little bit annoyed that we still haven't had... The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, issue 9, I think, come out. I think, have we been waiting two years for that? Very possibly. Um, anyway, that kind of bugs me a little bit, but the book itself is really good. You have Shazam, issue number 4. And I've been wondering for a while what DC are going to be doing with Shazam, especially as since the New 52, I feel like he's kind of been left by the wayside a little bit. You had him as the B story and a lot of Justice League stuff, but not really doing much. This is very much an on-point Shazam. It has the Shazam family, which I quite like, and I really hope that we're going to see some of the Shazam family in Shazam, which comes out next week in cinemas. Really looking forward to that. I thought it looked absolute pants, but now it actually looks really good with the new trailers that have come out. Uh, Fantastic Four, never was a huge Fantastic Four fan, I did however like the Ultimate Fantastic Four, but this run of Fantastic Four has been pretty good, I really enjoyed the Marvel 2-in-1 that was just Ben and the Human Torch, jumping around from dimension to dimension trying to find uh, Reed and Sue and the kids, and then also this didn't come out this week but I started reading Blossom 666. This is another Archie comic, same as Sabrina's an Archie comic. Bugs me a little bit because they're releasing new Archie... Ar, what are they calling them? Archie Horror Comics. And Blossom 666 has come out this year. So why are they releasing that but not doing the Afterlife with Archie or Chilling Adventures of Sabrina and Teenage Witch? They've also been doing Jughead the Hunger where Jughead's... Jughead's a werewolf. It's bizarre, but it's fantastic. Um... But yeah, Blossom 666, where both, one of them is the Antichrist, but they don't know which one, so the other one will probably have to die. It's a really good book, take a check out of that one, and I guess I'm going to leave it there, and I'll hopefully see you next week.